That's the first Sunday since the beginning of March that I've been able to share with others in communion. And uh, it is such a, a good thing to celebrate the Lord's sacrifice for us. As you know, uh, Pastor Lloyd and I are working together through the Sermon on the Mount. And as I looked at the schedule that Lloyd prepared, I said, so he gave me the one on, on adultery and divorce. So you sure that's the right, the right one you want me to do? He said, yes, it is. So as I've been working away at it, I thought, Lloyd, you're a smart man. This is one tough passage for us to be able to, to look at because it is thorny and really important. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you are our true Father our creator, our sustainer, the one who loved us first while we were still enemies, separated from you because of our sin and selfishness. You're a a God of love and grace at all times. You reach out to us and you rescue us when we cannot begin to rescue ourselves. As we consider your word and its implications for our lives, today. We ask for the help of your Holy Spirit to lead us so that we understand, so that we welcome the search of your Holy Spirit within our hearts, so that we welcome your refining, so that we become like you and walk with you and honor you. So we ask that all glory be given to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even as you, Holy Spirit, open the living word to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our scripture reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 27 through 32. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 1976, during the American-U.S. presidential race, a number of reporters uh, traveled with the Democratic candidate, Jimmy Carter, for different interviews. One of the reporters that traveled with him was from Playboy magazine. And he followed 
Jimmy Carter for a number of weeks and interviewed him in short snippets over a period of time and then actually had close to an hour with him uh, towards the end of the campaign. He asked Carter a number of questions about uh, his plans for how he would lead the country if he was elected president, asked him questions on policy, uh, questions on international relationships, questions on his faith, because everyone knew that Carter was a Christian, that he was well known as a teacher of a Sunday school class for adults, that he was a Baptist. The final question that he asked in the article that was printed just days before the election was, do you feel you've assured people with this interview, people who are uneasy about your religious beliefs, who wonder if you're going to make a rigid, unbending president? So in answer to the question, Carter started to talk about his Sunday school class and about what it means to be a follower of Christ and how he expresses it in particular as a Baptist. In that final answer, he said, the thing that's drummed into us as Baptists all the time is not to be proud, not to be better than anyone else, not to look down on people, but to make ourselves acceptable in God's eyes through our own actions and recognize the simple truth that we're saved by grace. It's a free gift through faith in Christ. This gives us a mechanism by which we can relate permanently to God. I'm not speaking for other people, but it gives me a sense of peace and assurance. I try not to commit deliberate sin. I recognize that, if that I am going to do it anyhow because I'm human and I'm tempted. And Christ set some almost impossible standards for us. Christ said, I tell you that anyone who looks on a woman with lust has in his heart already committed adultery. I've looked on women with lust. I've committed adultery in my heart many times. This is something that God recognizes that I will do, and I have done it, and God forgives me. But that doesn't mean that I condemn someone who looks on a woman with lust, but leaves his wife and lives with somebody out of wedlock. Carter's interpretation of what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. So this morning we're going to look at those verses Jesus really is talking about faithful, joyful purity. So he begins in verses 27 and 28. You have heard it said, he says. And he quotes what we now know as the seventh commandment. No adultery. No sexual intimacy with someone other than the person to whom you are married. No sexual intimacy with someone else's spouse. Now, the audience to whom Jesus was speaking were people who had God's law. 
they knew God's standards and for the most part, they were striving to live that law. They convinced themselves that they were people who were righteous, that they met God's standards of righteousness and that it involves primarily actions, although they also understood, though didn't emphasize, that it was an issue of the heart as well. They thought to themselves, do the outward actions, and we're good. (laughs) No more problem. So Jesus sets out to show them what the law is really about, what true righteousness is. He goes on in verses 27 and 28 to say that true righteousness is not only one spouse, but also only one person, the same person, for desire and commitment. It's not just outward faithfulness, but it's faithfulness of thought and heart's desire. It's not just what you do or don't do, but it's also what you think and dwell on. It's not just where you set your thoughts and your heart, but in fact it comes right down to who you are. Why? Why is that so important? It's because marriage is to be a reflection of Christ and the church, a picture and a taste of heaven. We are made for commitment and intimacy where we put the other before ourselves, according to Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33. We must see people as sacred and made by God and for God, which means that other people are not for our use or our pleasure, but rather other people are for us to serve care for and nurture and to bring out the best in them in order to bless them. Marriage is not for what you can get but rather it is what you can give and in doing that is our joy and fulfillment because it's the way we're made. That's the way God wired us. Purity is for God's glory. Purity is to care for people. Purity is for us to live life with joy. Commitment is for God's glory. It's to care for people, and it is for us to live life joyfully. So Jesus goes on in verses 29 and 30, and he says, take drastic measures to prevent anything that threatens that relationship with your spouse, anything where desire is misplaced. Jesus says, if anything causes you to stumble, get rid of that cause because that stumble has eternal consequences. The consequence is hell so does Jesus mean literally cutting off removing something that causes you to stumble the answer is yes 
and no <laughs> at the same time. Literally, yes. Take it this seriously. Take every measure necessary to prevent whatever causes you to stumble. It is that important. No, <laughs> removing an eye or cutting off a hand will not keep you from lusting or adultery. Rather, do whatever is necessary to keep you from it. The Greek word for stumble, scandalos, is our English word for scandal. Jesus is saying adultery is scandalous. Lust is scandalous in the truest sense of the word. So will lust or adultery send you to hell? The answer is, the result of sin is death. If you sin, you taste death. When you sin, you can feel it. Almost immediately. You know that you've lost something precious. You, your heart can sense it immediately. It leaves you feeling slimed. It separates you from people. It breaks trust. It makes your heart just a little bit harder and a little less able to love. Practices become habits. Habits become addictions. Addictions let you know that you're a slave and they burn and you begin to taste and experience the burning of hell. Heaven and hell are in the next life forever, eternally. But they do break into this life and we do, for better or worse, begin to taste them now. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief, the devil, sin as a presence do in fact come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come so that you can have life. A life that's full. Life that's rich and deep. So, since he's on the topic, he goes on to verses 31 and 32. Jesus continues. Since there is to be no adultery, not even lust, what about divorce? A few years ago, Sheila and I were in Charlotte, North Carolina, and while we were there, we went to the Billy Graham Library. If ever you get a chance to go to it, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a, a good experience and is still being used by Billy Graham to preach the gospel to people who come to see it. You go through room after room 
talking about the life of Billy Graham and his ministry and a number of things. And one of the rooms that we went into, it was talking about his wife, Ruth Graham Bell. And in that room, they had a black and white TV set with a, an interview that was going on. Ruth Bell was on a U.S. network. And the interviewer asked her this question in the 1960s. Have you ever considered divorcing your husband? She said, divorce? No. Murder? Yes. Serious issue. In the passage that Josh read from Matthew 19, there was a debate that was going on, and I'm sure it does in every generation. Is it lawful to divorce your wife? The people there were asking Jesus about that question from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. It says, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he is to write her a certificate of divorce, give it to her, and send her away. The question is, what does something indecent mean? What causes that displeasure in a husband towards his wife that would allow him to divorce his wife? And so there were two schools of thought that developed from it. One school of thought was led by a rabbi named Hillel. He said, you can divorce your wife for any cause. And so the infamous clause that people came to know most widely was if she burns the toast in the morning. That's enough. You can write a certificate of divorce and send her away and the marriage is over and you're free to go ahead and remarry. The other end of the spectrum was by a rabbi named Shammai. And Shammai said, no, it's only for a case of sexual immorality, of unfaithfulness. So Jesus, where are you on the spectrum? And Jesus' answer was, only for a case of sexual immorality. But he takes it further to point out the issue isn't really about what's happened. The issue is about the hardness of people's hearts. It's because of the hardness of people's hearts that this allowance was made, but our hearts shouldn't be hard. Our hearts should be soft. And it's an allowance. It's not something that has to be acted on. God's desire is for forgiveness and reconciliation. It's expressed in Malachi 2.16. Here's how it reads from the message. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. God of the angel army says, I hate the violent dismembering of the one flesh of marriage. So watch yourselves. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. Marriage is from God. A man and a woman commit themselves to one another exclusively for life with the promise to give themselves away, to put the other before one's self. It is sacred. Roman Catholics teach that it is a sacrament 
a means of grace, part of what allows a person to be saved. Well, I don't believe that's what Scripture teaches. The means of grace is through faith in Christ alone, not through some action that we do. It is by Christ's work and no other. Well, I know that's what Scripture teaches. I do recognize how sacred marriage is. God makes a married couple one. He knits husband and wife, man and woman, by soul and spirit together. And they are a reflection of God himself. There's only one God in three persons, so close and selfless and devoted to one another that they cannot be separated. Our God, who creates us in his image, allows us to begin to taste and experience what we will live eternally in heaven by becoming one with our spouse and being so close and selfless and devoted to one another that we cannot be separated. Popular thought is that healthy marriages are a 50-50 proposition. I do my part, you do your part, and all will be good. But a biblical understanding of marriage is, a, is that it's a 100-100 proposition. I give myself to you and I promise to do my part 100% of the time, whether you do your part or not. And if I give myself 100% of the time, we will have a 100% marriage. And I encourage you, my spouse, to give 100% all the time too so that you can enjoy 100% marriage as much as I do. What happens if we break this trust? Actually, I need to reword that. What happens when we break this trust? Because we do. If we're divorced, if we've lusted after other people, if we're caught in sexual immorality. So Jesus says in the passage that we read as well as in Matthew 19, except for sexual immorality, there is an exception clause. The word for sexual immorality is porneia, our English word for pornography comes from that word. And pornography is epidemic in our online world. So what happens when we break this trust? And the point is, everybody does. At some point, in some way, everybody breaks the trust. Firstly, this is Jesus' point. That's why he's teaching what he is teaching in this section on the Sermon on the Mount. As I said a couple of weeks ago, the Beatitudes are the key to understanding what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching that God is 100% holy and that we are to be holy as he is holy. He's teaching that we need to recognize that we are bankrupt of the religious righteous currency that God's standards require. We have zero in our account of favor before God. 
He wants us to see that sin kills and that sin rules us because we are born sinners. He wants us to get it that since we are born sinners, that it goes to the core of who we are, our only hope is to be born again from above by the Holy Spirit. We need a Savior because we cannot save ourselves. Here's the good news. God has provided for us to be able to defeat lust in our lives and to live faithful, joyful, pure lives. He's provided it for us by making us new from the inside out and giving us the power of His Spirit. We need to be empty of our attempts to earn our salvation. Just like Martin Luther that I mentioned two weeks ago. Martin Luther wrestled and struggled with the issue of knowing that his heart was rebellious against God. And he drove himself almost crazy trying to confess enough knowing he never got there, that he had never got to the place of being able to say, I did this, forgive me, and now we're, now we're good. Instead, he came to the realization he needed a savior and that salvation comes by the grace of God, not by our trying to earn it. We need a savior who pays for our sins in full. A Savior who takes the curse that is on us and puts it on Himself. We need a Savior who pays for the death of our sin by dying for us. It's what we're expressing when we share in communion. We need a Savior who defeats the power of sin and death and is raised again, who gives us His life and His righteousness who births us a second time by the power and regeneration of the Holy Spirit, who lives in us in the person of His Spirit and makes us holy, who has already seated us with Himself at the Father's right hand, who is our very life. I want you to hear some amazing verses of Scripture. First of all, from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Paul writes, Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Hear the amazing words from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now get this, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead 
and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, for us, which is his body. This church, which is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The power that raised Jesus from the grave is the power working in you if you've put your trust in Jesus. Here, listen to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as, God, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God who made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hmm. Ending pornea, sexual immorality, action, thought, essence of heart. We end it by the Holy Spirit's power in us to live the righteousness of Christ through us. In Christ we are a new creation and we have the power of the Holy Spirit at our disposal. It is power so that we can obey God and live holy lives. It is power not to be powerful people but to give ourselves away. It is power to serve and to find the joy and the wonder and delight of our God ruling in our hearts as we serve. We think to ourselves, if I live in a marriage relationship or in an anybody relationship where I give myself away whether the other person does or not, we're the loser. But that's not true. We become like our Lord. It's Jesus was Jesus, is Jesus the loser because he gave himself away to a group of people who had no appreciation for him? No, he lived life to the full, joyfully, powerfully, purely. And that's what our God wants to do in and through us. He gives us his strength so that if we're fighting pornography, by God's grace we can say, no, I choose not to burn, I choose to live. I choose to be set free. And God gives us his strength to do it. If you know that's who you are, you can say no and call on the Holy Spirit to live through you and walk in joy and freedom and wholeness. You don't have to be stuck. You can be free. 
you can not only say no to unrighteousness, which is a hard thing to do and impossible maybe in our own strength, but not in God's, but you can also say yes to righteousness. You can not only say no, I don't want to taste that bitter stuff of hell anymore. I want to taste the wonder. I want to taste the joy of righteous living. I want to know how good it feels and live it by doing what is right and walking with God in the power that he provides. In Christ we are a new creation and we can say no to sin and faithfully, joyfully, purely say yes to righteousness in the power of the Holy Spirit because in Christ, that's who we are. Amen.